Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On this edition, A or F, will the real Champions League group of death please stand up? Also, when Barcelona met Porto in the Champions League, what's it got to do with Benfica? And just when you thought you could write off Sevilla's ageing stars, I'll be asking, good week, bad week, for Sergio Ramos. Andy, uh, good to have your company, mate, because you're far, far away, aren't you? Uh, You are on the cusp of Europe and Asia as we speak. Yeah, I am. I'm uh, almost on the bridge over the Bosphorus in Istanbul, uh, just cooling down after that red-hot Galatasaray-Manchester United game. Uh, I, last I was about to say, have you have you caught your breath yet? <laughs> just just <laughs> I, about. I was, yeah, when I heard you were going to be on here today after going to the game, I was thinking, I don't know if he's going to make it. I don't, I don't know that, you know, <laughs> the breath's going to come through in time. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's before we get to the challenges of uh, getting a taxi. But I, I think... Um, Really, the, the the game was one thing, and we'll go on to speak about that. The, the atmosphere was was something else. You you get a bit of a flavour of that in an at the match, which is uh, forthcoming here on the on on the OTC feed. But um, look, if if every Champions League game was like this, I think um, competence is overrated. Can we say? <laughs> well, in terms of um, the match itself, what it's done. Uh, is give us this conundrum now because we previously thought the group of death was group F, didn't we? We we thought that was the one that uh, the mighty would fall. Um, it's the group with Borussia Dortmund at the top at the moment, Paris Saint-Germain, Newcastle and AC Milan. That is still the group of death. But I suspect, David, that when the sixth match of the group stages is played, the one that will... <laughs> will the group that will focus attention is Group A because now there's this dynamic because of that result in Istanbul. There is this dynamic uh, at the moment, of course, Bayern Munich uh, way at the top of that group um, with 13 points, and then the other three: FC Copenhagen, Galatasaray, and Manchester United at the bottom of that group. They're all going to be fighting cup finals, aren't they? Indeed. I was going to say, we, we might be calling this uh, the group of Man United's death. Um, I think by, by everything's uh, wrapped up. If, if, Let's not preempt this, mate. If everything, if everything transpires. Um, yeah, very much so. It's And Man United are in the unenviable position that no club wants to be in, and it's out of their hands. So whatever happens between Copenhagen and Galatasaray, if one of those clubs get a win, then, then that's it. Um, they'll be hoping for a draw, and then obviously... Need to win by uh, beat Bayern Munich as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Bayern turn up. Um, you know, and it also it's going to be interesting to see what Man United turn up because as they've shown with the number of leads that they've squandered, I think it's five leads uh, that they've squandered now um, alone in this in this group. 
which is quite extraordinary. Um, and they have no semblance of control or discipline in these games at all. Um, everything that you want from a club playing in Europe, they have not got at the moment. Um, and they're in serious trouble here. Well, it's out of their hands, Andy. But when you were watching that match uh, last night as we speak now, Manchester United at Galatasaray, was, as far as you can tell, were people aware of the consequences of the draw? Yeah, and um, United started to become more aware of it as it as it went on. I, th- I think you could see in the last 20 minutes, they were aware that they needed to throw caution to the wind um, to an extent. I mean, because of the way Galatasaray play, they are obviously no longer coached by Fatty Tarim, but in a sense, his shadow kind of hangs over Turkish football a, a little bit because they, they went from defensive minnows, Turkish teams in the in, in the 80s and early 90s to when Tarim took charge of the national team and then Galatasaray front foot all, all the way. And that still endures, you know. I, I think uh, Okan Buruk, the, the current coach of Galatasaray, is very much a disciple of that kind of football. Um, part of that is because of the squad makeup he has and the fact that they had no Davinson Sanchez meant that they pushed Khan Ayhan into the defence. Now, he's been a central defender playing as their midfield holder. Now, I think we looked at the start of this group and thought Bayern not having a midfield holder could be something really important. It's something that is, is a real problem for Galatasaray as well. You know, they're so vulnerable every time they lost the ball. And I think that was the remarkable thing about this. Like United could just wait for the games to come to them, really, because the way that Galatasaray play and the way that Galatasaray played in these two games really suits what Man United have, actually. The fact that they are given the opportunity time and again to play on the, the counter-attack. I mean, even in the closing part of of this game which as David was saying was thrilling from start to end and Galatasaray really should have said well you know a draw is not a bad result it leaves us in control if we go to Copenhagen and win we'll 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 still go through but there was never any sense that they either wanted to or were capable of sticking with that draw so they were giving Manchester United the chance to, to to do them over every time they lost the ball they were I, either three on three or two on three, you know, they were, they were leaving themselves so, so open. And yet Manchester United somehow found a way for their own vulnerabilities to, to take centre stage. And it's combined, of course, with Galatasaray's attacking quality. And so that leaves Galatasaray, David, going to Copenhagen, needing to win that. What do they have to do to me? Copenhagen have played really well so far in the Champions League. I wouldn't look at that if I was Galatasaray and think all we need to do now is go to Copenhagen and get a result there. I just think it's going to. I think both teams are going to get lured into a similar sort of game of what we saw last night. I really think we're going to see both teams going for it. I mean, Copenhagen's atmosphere this season in Europe has been excellent. Obviously, we all know about Galatasaray as well. I can't imagine those fans going in there and thinking, oh, let's just squeeze through. I think we could see, again, another 2-2, 3-3 thriller there. Um, I'd be really surprised if it was anything else. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm obviously going to watch to see what Manning Ayer do, but you know, I'm going to have a close eye on that for sure. So looking at that, Andy, how would suggest that it's Group A, and particularly this match, the, the, the final match between... Galatasaray and Copenhagen. I'm looking at that as the match of the tournament so far. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's the one, I think. And, you know, I, I think we've spoken about Galatasaray's bravery, but we can say the same for Copenhagen. Um, the way they played at Old Trafford, um, the fact they managed to go to Munich and get a point, and they definitely deserved a point in the home game against Bayern as well and lost the game right at the end, primarily as a matter of resource because Bayern were able to bring on Matthijs Tell, who is just... Uh, I think as Archie Rintut put it to me, he's, he's a cheat code against flagging defences in, in, in the last 20 minutes of a game. So he was able to help them crack the game open. But, you know, Copenhagen have got a good team this year. They're well coached and they're brave as, as, as well. And I think this is sort of an indication of where Manchester United are. Clearly, they have greater resource than either Galatasaray or FC Copenhagen. But in terms of knowing who they are, even though they've got faults, both Galatasaray and Copenhagen are, are ahead of United in that respect. They've, they've got identity and structure, two things that Manning just yeah. absolutely lack in abundance, um, really. And I mean, look, even when Manning went to Copenhagen, it was the Rashford red card, of course, and that really spun the game. Copenhagen's fans got up, the team obviously got up. Um, and so I think Galatasaray will go there and think, all right, okay, we can potentially stick two goals on here or so. And obviously Copenhagen, like Andy's just touched on, are a very brave side as well. So that's why I think it makes for such an eye-catching um, game with everything that's on the line. The the real, quote-unquote, group of death previously was Group F. That's where we expected all the action, like I was saying a moment or two ago. How on earth have Borussia Dortmund managed to lead that? And lead it quite comfortably, actually, because they're on 10 points. Paris Saint-Germain behind them are on seven uh, then it's Newcastle and AC Milan bringing up uh, the rear with five each. How how have Bruce Dortmund managed to pull away from the others? Because of Gregor Corbel. <laughs> Quite frankly, I think it's been the story. <laughs> I think it's been the story of Dortmund season. I mean, it's not a case of like, oh, Dortmund have found themselves in the Champions League. I don't think it is that. I don't really see too many dissimilarities from what they're doing in the Bundesliga right now. They've relied heavily on their goalkeeper. I mean, the number of incredible saves he pulled off was remarkable at key moments um, and then of course they're always going to be a danger on the break I think Karim Adeyemi this season uh, sorry in the Champions League this season at least has been very impressive he hasn't really translated fully over to the Bundesliga I don't think as a, in a on a consistent basis but they very much relied heavily upon their goalkeeper so I'm not going to read too much look, look it's impressive what Dortmund have done to finish top of this group it looks like but I'm, I'm still not completely convinced about them as, as a team as a unit Maybe the question, Andy, is how have Paris Saint-Germain not managed to be at the top of that uh, of that group? It's, it's a great question, Dotton, and especially as you both underlined the gulf between PSG and Dortmund on, on match day one in the, the, the game that I watched with Jonathan Johnson for Reacts. And yeah, like, like that night, PSG looked as if they had that identity. Um, you know, they, they, they had a really great balance of the team. They were really dynamic, um, loads of ideas. But their away performances really have, have, have undercut them. They were poor at Newcastle, arguably worse at, at, at Milan away, I thought, actually, despite the score. And so it put so much pressure on this, this home game, and a, a pressure that they really struggled to cope with. I mean, I, I know you could go back and I think Kylian Mbappe said it afterwards, you know, that they had enough chances to win the game several times over and and, and that's true. But the degree of tension that they displayed in, in in not taking those chances 
um, was something else. But also, I think you look at the moment. Firstly, they really miss Zaire Emery in, in in central midfield. And much as I love Zaire Emery, you can't be relying that hard on a 17-year-old. That's a huge problem. And I hate to say it, but time and again, they, they picked the wrong goalkeeper, basically, when, when they had Donnarumma and, and Navas. And um, Donnarumma, time and again, is, is, is letting them down. I mean, at least this time, I suppose it wasn't, him letting them down with his feet, which which I suppose is a plus with the, with the sort of football that they 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 want to play. But you know you know that they have relied so much in terms of getting up the pitch and creating space on Usman Dembélé, and he's suspended for the final game against Dortmund away. And given that they really need to go and win that to to make sure, that's a huge problem for them. It, it was definitely the thing that stood out most for me about missing Warren's eye and Emery. But I mean, wow! What does it say about a club? The money that they've spent, obviously, yet they're relying upon seventeen-year-old to to carry them through. I thought mm. that midfield was really, really flat. I'm I'm looking at it and and the, everybody was side by side. You got Agate, Danilo, Skirinow was coming up as well, and it's just all very flat. I'm I'm looking at that three and I'm saying, right, who's picking a pass out of those three players? Who's who's linking with the attack? And yes, they 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 obviously had a lot of chances, but there was like there was still that gulf in midfield. And I've seen this from PSG from time and time again. When I look at them, and I think they're just empty in midfield. Even during when they had Verratti as well, and obviously they've had quite a lot of Champions League failings. I've always thought the midfield has been their downfall. They just never had that semblance of control, um, ability to you know to see off a game, um, and and they were extremely extremely lucky here. I thought. Can I be a bit of an old man here and um, think back to PSG past and go Verratti, Matuidi, Thiago Motta? I mean, that was a great mid. That was a great midfield. What would they do with that midfield now? If you had that with Mbappe and the other forward players they had in front, that 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 would be special. But I think it's a real underlining of of what they lack now. I, I was wondering whether you know the. Uh, the PSG will get a result against Borussia Dortmund. I imagine that people are still putting them as the favourite of the rest of the pack to go through. Or or are you both um, falling in line with that or not? Because there's a big question mark, uh, two points behind uh, uh, PSG with Newcastle and AC Milan, who we'll come to in a moment or two. If they end up, I mean, basically, the only way um, out of that is a win. A draw is not going to get either of those two clubs out of that, whereas Paris Saint-Germain could get a draw at Borussia Dortmund and still go through. So they would have to be the favourites in that respect. Is it going to be that straightforward for them? I think PSG, obviously, you've seen PSG so many times over the years, I think they, they really feel pressure. But I think they'll see this through. I really, really do. Um Newcastle have just been unlucky. The amount of injuries that they've got at the moment is ridiculous. I think it was something like 15, 13 fit first-team players or something at the, at the moment right now. It's really, really bad for them. And Milan are just, like I said, we'll get to them, but Milan are just absolutely wretched. Well, let's talk about that now. Why? Mm. Why, Andy? What has happened to Milan? It's not the Milan that we remember from last season, is it? Very different in this Champions League. Yeah, and I think we've we've looked at Dortmund and... 
how they've been. I, I actually think they've done brilliantly to, to to get to the top of the group and and get through. And you can talk about the shortcomings of the other teams. Um, as David's underlined, Cobell's been outstanding as he has been ever since he signed from from Stuttgart. But I think the fortitude that they've shown, particularly in those two matches against Newcastle, is very very impressive. Um, nothing flash, but just a, a little bit of experience. And, and funnily enough. I think the thing that's been underlined there is the fact that Mats Hummels and uh, Marco Royce have been their two outstanding midfield players. Now, if there's a concern with PSG that Warren Zaire Emery at 17 is such a key player to them, I think it should be a concern to Dortmund that Hummels and Royce are still so important to them after all these years. But I think the reason I bring up those elements of Dortmund is because it's exactly what Milan have lacked I think that bit of experience, that bit of guiding hand, and and that's what they really lacked in the semi final last season. I thought against Inter, um, Inter started better and then just controlled the whole semi final. It doesn't feel like Milan have got over that in the way that you know you think Dortmund losing the league, losing the Bundesliga on the last day of the season. I mean, uh, the CEO, Hans-Joachim Watzke, talked about it last weekend at the AGM and said it was the most terrible day of his life. And um, he said, actually, what we've done to to get over that, I, I don't think people look at our results and our performances in the context of that. And I, I think that's fair enough. But it just makes me wonder, have Milan really got over what happened in the Champions League semi-final? Because the mistakes they've made in big moments, I think if you take away that win against... Uh, PSG in Milan, which was excellent, of of course. They've 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 just choked at big moments in 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 this Champions League. Um, you know they had the chances to beat Newcastle first up. They had the chances to win in Dortmund. Um, they had the chances in the second game with the Giroud miss penalty. And you know Mike Magnon had a, a really disappointing game, which is very very unlike him. I, I do think again you have to put it in some sort of context in that. They are not the Milan of old, despite getting to the semi-final last season. Despite being relatively recent champions, they don't have a lot of money. And they've accordingly, they've had quite a budget transfer window. And when you don't have... When every signing can't be a manual, you know, and you've seen some of those players that have come in last summer and you compare it to the transfer window of Inter. I just don't think they're as strong, David, as they were last season. No, I completely agree, and they've got the hallmarks, all the hallmarks of a team, um, or, or at least with a manager who has come to the end of a cycle. I think the pressure's been on purely uh, for quite some time. I don't think he's to blame for absolutely everything there. I think there's a, you know, a contingent of Milan fans who are putting everything what has gone wrong down to him. I don't think that's the case. I think he's very much to blame for a lot of things, but not everything. Um, and we discussed this. Uh, I remember um, quite near the start of the season when I think you asked us about who's going to be in the running for the Serie A title. And when I said, I don't see Milan anywhere near it. I don't think they bought as well as some people were made out. There was nothing really impressive from there. I thought, you know, Pioli again wasn't looking like a man who was progressing them. Um, And I think they probably need to look at it from a point of view of when when's the best time to potentially move on for him. Have we got somebody in mind now who can come in, give us an uplift, pick things up? Or do we see it out with purely hope he's just kind of steady, it doesn't get too bad, and then remove him in the summer? But they've very much come to an end. I think that's the bottom line of it. They've come to an end of the cycle with purely. Yeah, you see, 
There goes David writing Pioli off. Remember, no, because AC Milan could still qualify. You know, fair enough. Okay. It depends on other results, but they could still qualify. They, they could. It's just papering over cracks. It's one of those things when somebody gets it, when a manager gets a few wins, and everybody's kind of like, "Oh, maybe he is the guy." And it's just you have to look at big picture, long term. Pioli is absolutely not the guy to take Milan forward. They need to move on from him to progress this next group of players that they have, and then also what they will eventually buy as well. So that's that's my. Do you not need a tactician when you're facing Newcastle for survival in the Champions League? And that's what he is. That's his unique selling point, isn't it? Do you not need somebody who can uh, galvanise a group to uh, go with their way of playing as opposed to, you know, trying to just ward off and fight a rear guard action? Do you not need somebody who's positive in that way? Um, I, think, I think as PSG have just shown, I think you just need VAR. Yeah, tell, tell that to the mags. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Barcelona uh, played Porto again in the Champions League and got results out of it. Just put this into context for me, David. How big a result was this for Barcelona? They could do with the catch. Um, yeah, extremely big from, from, two, from two angles. First of all, the financial reasons that you bring up. It's absolutely huge. Everybody knows Barcelona's financial situation. They haven't got a pot at the moment, basically. Um, and you know what? They're in a position where they're going to have to, you know, still what they are move players on to bring others in. They're up against it with their salary. Yeah, it's just a lot of problems that we all very much well known about Barcelona's financial problems. So it's obviously Champions League money is huge for them in terms of how they can start and move forward. Look at the accounts when it comes to January, the summer as well. Of course, they lost the brilliant Gavi as well. 
Um, I still don't know whether this, you know, knowing that this money coming in gives them any, you know, leg room, wiggle room sort of thing to make a deal in January. We'll see there. And then the other angle is that, which I think has been kind of forgotten under this because everyone just focuses on the finances when it comes to Barcelona, is that it's very important, I think, for Xavi's status at the club as well. Um, he was coming under the most, I'd say, vicious amount of pressure that he had since he came to the club. A lot of people very much questioning his style of play, um, the direction that they're heading in. Is, it, is that because of the domestic results or uh, the international ones? I think it's from a whole. I think people, when Xavi came in, had an idea of how he might play as a coach. Um, I think a lot of people were kind of ex- expecting quick, expansive football, sweeping teams aside. It's not been that case. I think it's quite slow, meandering at times. Um, I think it's... It's partly you know, Javi's the way that Javi has set it up. I think with his midfield as well. I don't think Pedri's as influential influential as he once was, um, in in, in this setup. So, from that point of view, retaining Javi and I was very much keeping him around. I think they there was there was no way. I think I thought they should have moved on as a long term project. Again, it's going back to what we said about Pioli and and Milan. There's always a bigger picture here. That you have to look bigger picture. You have to look long term. They have to keep Javi around. I think eventually it will align for them under him so this is very important for his own project as well and that those players keep developing there's a lot of young players still in there there's some experience as well but there's a lot of young players and it's important for them to continue playing at this high level feeling pressure as well going to a Champions League knockout tie I think that's really important for their young development as well you could feel sorry for Porto in that um, match against Barcelona though couldn't you Andy I wonder how convincing you feel Barcelona were against Porto um they were better in the second half, I thought, um, but I, I, didn't, I didn't think they were convincing at all to, to, to answer your question. They rarely um, have this season. They've rarely been convincing. I agree. And uh, they've won this game really through individual quality. I suppose it's a theme that we've come to time and again with Dortmund in the league, for example, going back to the last section, that you feel their individual quality is, is is better than the collective workings, which of course is like why, why you end up with a question mark over the coach, which is why there have been question marks over Edin Terzic and over Xavi as, as, as well. But um, when you talk about that individual quality, obviously Joao Cancelo and Joao Felix, two players who they don't fully own and <laughs> don't have an obvious route to keeping. It's, it's not going to be easy to hold on to, to either of them. It's, it's, it's quite an interesting twist to this, quite apart from the fact that they're being former Benfica players who very much reveled in putting one over Porto, particularly uh, Joao Cancelo. I was going to ask, I was going to ask, um, you know, you, you take your old club with you sometimes, but I think the two Joao's, <laughs> the two... The two Joao's took their old clubs with them a little bit too far in this game. What was it? I mean, they got a lot of chances. Both of them were on the front foot. Uh, missed a lot of chances as well, I might say. Um, was it a personal, uh, a personal fight for them both against Porto yes. rather than uh, yes. playing for? Yeah, it was. Yes. Why? 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 I mean, I've heard well, of rivalry, particularly- but. Well, they moved on. Yeah, but they moved on from that. Yeah, but 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 this this rivalry, I, d- I don't know if it ever does leave you really. Because bear in mind, when um, players leave Portugal's biggest clubs, they often carry a, a big three clause in, in their contract. So, say for example, if um, imagine I'm 
Georges Nuno Pinto da Costa for a minute, uh, the president of Porto. And I sell... You look like him. Uh, <laughs> I, I sell... Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> 86 years young. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I uh, sell, sell my star player, David, to uh, Barcelona. I will include uh, a clause in his five-year contract that says um, Barcelona are not allowed to sell him to Benfica or Sporting in the next three years. And and that is just common. That's normal. And I think that, as well as the intensity of the the, the derbies and the classicals them, them, themselves, is is themselves is is something that that really adds to this. But especially when you think Joao Cancelo and Joao Felix, they they came up through the academy at, at, at Benfica, um, and it was interesting to hear Joao Cancelo to talk more openly about how oh yeah the, the fact that we got one over. Porto made it made it even better because I would have expected that to come from Joao Felix. Of course, he started in the in the Porto academy when he was older and uh, when he was younger, and then went to uh, Benfica. His, his younger brother has, has since joined the Benfica academy, and um, I, I remember really keenly uh, Joao Felix's first game in a classical against uh, Porto when he was a Benfica player, and Pepe took one look at him and thought, "Thought right, you think you're the business? I want to duff you up." Basically, I'm I'm going to make life hell for you, and that was the first point that I realised that Joao Felix had a bit about him beyond the talent because uh, Pepe targeted him. He tried to make it difficult for him. He tried to kick him out of the game, and Joao Felix just wouldn't have it. But for him to score such a crucial goal for Barcelona, a place where he really wants to be, a transfer that he really agitated for when his career was drifting. Atletico and I think to plant a flag and show everyone at home in Portugal look this is this is me it's going great for me it's really important to him yeah when you look at the table though Barcelona they're not quite home and dry as leaders of the group though they're they're close but it depends on other results as well and one of those results uh, will be uh, Porto versus Shakhtar Donetsk both of them are three points behind this is going to be a hard one to call let me go to to Andy first before I come to you on this one David because in a way Andy these are two of your specialist subjects aren't they Shakhtar Donetsk which you've written a book about um, we play on and also FC Porto and you're an expert on Portuguese football How, how is that match going to go? As we discussed on last week's uh, OTC, there's so much happening behind the scenes um, with Porto at the moment, with um, this presidential race, with Pinto da Costa, with uh, André Villas-Boas, hoping to provide the succession, and the fan base quite split over it. Now, after we talked about it last week, Villas-Boas' house being attacked, um, the the capo, the leader of the Super Dragos, the main, main supporters group, um, said, look, from now on, I, I want um, everything to be democratic, everyone to vote as they want, and it, it, it to be peaceful, which seemed like a way of calming the game. But, you know, it's it, it's still tense there. Consisau's not happy about the sort of resources had to reinforce the team and if they were to go out if they, and it would take them losing at home to Shakhtar for them to go out a point is good enough for Porto to go through um, he would I suspect A threaten to resign again as he periodically does and B go back to um, 
go back to the fact that he he feels he hasn't really been backed sufficient sufficiently in 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 the transfer market as, as as well. And for Shakhtar, David, for them to be in a position where they know they have to go there and win, but they have that opportunity, I, I would say that's a pretty good opportunity to have. Oh, absolutely. I mean, God, this could be huge for them. I mean, obviously, we all know their situation and what have you. Um, Andy's wrote the book on it. Um, so this will be really significant for them at this juncture in you know in that club. So also as well, what what made me laugh about this, and I mean we've got George Pinto de Costa uh, with us here, uh, that uh, he made one of his <laughs> pledges that Porto would get through as well. He could be looking very silly, couldn't he? Even more silly than uh, he has been. Yeah, he could. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure we'd find a way to to style it out. He's got 40 plus years of experience, after all. But um, yeah, it's 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 huge for Porto because they just have to get the draw, and because of Shakhtar being in the diminished state, they are, that they've got everything to lose. It's it's tense for Porto, I think. Let's move on, but staying in that general region, certainly in Iberia. In Spain, Sevilla, well, are they the same Sevilla in the Champions League as they are domestically? They look pretty shocking in both. They are, because that's that, that's they are. And again, we discussed this, I think it was last week. I think uh, somebody asked a question about Sevilla. We touched on Sevilla. Um, and I think they asked, you know, why they never kicked on in, in bigger competitions. And it's because the way they can't. And now they can't even kick on um, in the Europa League. They're, they're going out of Europe altogether. Um they're in serious trouble from top to bottom at that club on and off the field. Um, there was more loud protests against the board um, and, and, and what have you as well. They've got a, there's a big board meeting where they announced their budgets and financial situations as well. Um, I think coming up, that's, that's next week. And they're in, they're in big, big trouble off the field as well. Um, I do believe it's losses of 19 million. There's been a decrease in TV revenue as well. Um, and... <laughs> This is just look. They had Sevilla as we know them had this incredible system, incredible setup in place with uh, with Monchi, their famed sporting director, of um, scouring Europe, picking up talents, um, whether it be young or twenty five, twenty six, uh, from league on and other leagues, um, small fees, managing to sell them on. Um, that stopped under Monchi. He, he went off track. They replaced him with Victor Orta, much maligned, obviously, when he was at Leeds United as well. And I don't think he can ever set foot in Yorkshire again. Um, you, you know, and he's heading to the point that he might not be able to set foot in Seville again. Um, his recruitment has been horrific. We saw them, you know, break a record that, you know, not many really want probably and in, in that they feel at the oldest Champions League 11, I do believe, in, in, in the tournament history. So on, on average age. So that was disappointing as well. And we are seeing a Sevilla that we do not recognise from previous years. Um, and, and there's no talent there to sell, really, as well. That's another thing. There's the, You're not looking at that club and going, oh, they could all be grabbed by bigger clubs and Sevilla could make a major profit and they could turn this around and get their recruitment back on track. There's no one really there. There's nobody there. I'd say, like, oh, I need, I need to pay money for him. I need to get him out of there. Um, and they suffered, I think, in a big way, losing Diego Carlos and Gilles Koundé. Carlos went to Aston Villa. He's had some injury trouble, but he went for a big fee. And obviously, Gilles Koundé went to Barcelona, where he always wanted to be. Um, Sevilla have always replaced the stars that they have sold very, very well. Now, 
they are not doing that. I think there's going to be have to be wholesale changes in the summer. I think Art is already done um, there as well. In terms of coaches, they're sifting through them right now. And Diego Alonso, who you know shouldn't have got that job anywhere, I don't think, um, has been an absolute disaster. Can he survive? No. Andy, look, um, I don't know how to put this delicately. Far be it from me to suggest that um, of the oldest players that uh, Sevilla fielded, there was one particular player that our listeners will know very well, um, Sergio Ramos. Now, just humour me. Humour me for a moment. Last weekend, just gone, Sevilla had two players sent off. Guess which one of them was Sergio Ramos? Uh, well, uh, number one, <laughs> I think, is uh, the amazing thing. I mean, the, the incredible thing about him and his, his longevity, um, as our, our producer pointed out, his 29th red card of his career quickly followed against PSV by him scoring the 10,000th Champions week. League goal. What a week. I mean, it, it talks about him as a historic personality. Yeah. But as David said, I think the historic side of it is worth underlining. I mean, David's underlined perfectly why they're in a mess institutionally and and, and sport-wise. But in terms of what's actually happening on the pitch at the moment, I mean, they end with nine men against Real Sociedad last week, last weekend, sorry, less than a week ago. And they end with nine men in this game against... Um, against PSV as well. A game in which, and when you talk about the financial problems that Sevilla have at the moment. Okay, clearly they need to restructure. Clearly they need to rethink. But in terms of the here and now, they need to win more. And they really could have done with the money for getting through into the next round of the Champions League or into the Europa League. Now, theoretically, they could still go and win at Lens and, and, and win on the last game. And I'm sure there are a few Arsenal fans who went to the Emirates last night, I think, well, anyone could beat Lance at the moment. They're a different kettle of fish at home as those Arsenal fans who who, who went to Bolleau will, will, will know. I think it's very tough. But if you look at the players who've got sent off and the players who've let them down in the last week, Sevilla, Sergio Ramos, okay, he does what he does. Jesus Navas gets sent off for dissent like less than a minute later for complaining about the sending off at Real Sociedad. Fernando, who had a big hand in the previous coach going, Mendilibar. Uh, he got himself sent off right at the end. You have this argument between Rafa Mir and Marcos Acuna, both old enough to know better. Um, Lucas Acampos, his sending off turned the game because they were 2-0 up at, at, at that point and in, in a good position to go on against PSV. Now, look, I, th I think it's fair to say that PSV are objectively better than Sevilla at the moment, and not just because they have a 100% record, albeit in, a, in an inferior league. Um, you know, they've they, they played extremely well this season. I think they deserve to go through. They're the second-best team in the group. But Sevilla at home should always be backing themselves, and at 2-0 up, they should always be closing that game out. And that their biggest players have let them down. It's not just here. You look at Sergio Ramos. Um, giving away, helping to give away their lead at the, at the end of the game in Eindhoven because they were two one up in that going into to, to stoppage time. You know they've had chance after chance in this group stage and in this season, and not only are those old players 
bad for the profile of the team, bad for the model, um, costing a lot in wages and absolutely no resale value. They're consistently letting them down on the pitch as well. Every it just everything that you would not expect from Sevilla. It just goes against everything that they have been over the years when during their incredible European success. And they're just now in a position I think they might have to eat some a lot of humble pie and potentially bring Mendy a bar back. Um I'm already seeing a few people even suggesting it as well, and it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me at all. Seven league games without a win, fifteenth in the table. Um they're in a pure crisis and I think Mendeba has to potentially come back well, why would they have to eat humble pie to get him back because they're, the way that they removed him I, you know I don't think they're in a particularly look it wasn't particularly good don't get me wrong because this is not a good squad it hasn't been constructed well so he wasn't doing particularly well but he was certainly doing better than what's going on right now so I think they might have to you know potentially just and come back. <laughs> when Andy was going through the litany of problems that mm. Sevilla has, um, he mentioned Navas. His sending off was untypical, though, wasn't it? Oh, very, very. Yeah. If, if Ramos was unexpected, then <laughs> Ramos... Expected. Uh, Nava- <laughs> yeah, 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 expected. If Ramos was expected, then Navas was just mad. It potentially shows just how bad they are. When, when little calm and cool Jesus Navas, Jesus Navas is getting sent off. Um, I do like as well, by the way, so Ramos has been sent off more times in the 21st century than any other player now. Ahead of a favourite of mine, Rafael Marquez, and I know just a huge favourite of Andy's, Felipe Melo. He knew that was coming. Oh, he knew that yes. was <laughs> Yes. Oh, well, I'm in Istanbul, you know. Although, having said all of that, Sergio Ramos, I mean, he, he writes his own history, this a, bloke. A red card in a Champions League goal in a week is the most Sergio Ramos week. He's probably running up a hill somewhere as well, just for a couple of hours, just to, just to cap it off and go, this is the most Ramos week ever. They're going to have to pay... Just for Insta. Yeah, just yeah, for just Insta. for Insta, of course. They're going to have to pay Diego Alonso some money if they separate from his... It won't be, won't be too much. He was a, he was a cheap hire. Oh, okay. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's only been in the club, what, a month and a half now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Zero to... <laughs> um, okay, it's time for you to both recommend us a game of the week. Uh, to concentrate our minds this weekend, and if you don't mind, a food pairing as well. Andy, you are in wonderful, wonderful Istanbul. I'm sure that's the way the song the song went. <laughs> yeah, um, it does. It does. It's got a certain <laughs> ring to it, hasn't it? Never mind. Copenhagen. That'll um, be them on match day six. Yeah. But you'll yeah. have a lot to, you know, taste in terms of food over there where you are at the moment. What, let's start with the food and then tell us which game goes with it. Well, look, it's, it's going to have to be Turkish food, I suppose, isn't it? Regardless of the game. So uh, kuzu shish with uh, fresh salad that's um, diced lamb with freshly made flatbread. Um, it's got to come off the grill, no doubt about that. Yeah, it's, it's nearly lunchtime, so if we can wrap this up, <laughs> that'd be great. That's, that's um, a great choice. As somebody who's a big fan of a lamis kinder, that's uh, that's, nice. in, that's in my wheelhouse, <laughs> mate. I'm there. But, but I, I would be enjoying that with um, probably the leftovers of it on Sunday morning because uh, 11.15 UK time is uh, Feyenoord versus the aforementioned PSV who maybe because we've been getting stuck into Sevilla, haven't had enough credit. Uh, you look at the way that Peter Bosch and his coaching staff celebrated their qualification at the end of that. They, they deserve to, especially when you think they got absolutely thwacked at the Emirates on uh, match day one. Oh, I think that's going to happen to a few teams in, in Europe this season. Um, PSV did great. Um, Feyenoord, 
little bit unlucky this week against um, Atletico Madrid. Atleti deserved to win at Decoip, which is where this game is, with an incredible atmosphere, of course. But um, to score two own goals and then have uh, Mario Mosso cross go in, I mean, that's pretty unfortunate. He meant that. He meant that. Come on. I'm not having that. No. No. Uh, yeah, that was the jammiest goal, I think, of uh, the week. Oh, my God, I'm leaving. He meant that with his entire body. He <laughs> yeah, of did. Of course he did. <laughs> um, so, should we start with the food pairing first, or do you want to go for the match first, David? Um, no, no, we'll go for food first. Uh, so, I'll give you a clue where I'm going. I'm going to go for a nice seafood paella. Okay, I think I know where you go with this one. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's got a bit of heartiness to it. You can have it in the winter as well. So, course, so that's, what, that's, where we, that's where we're going there. It's probably safer in the winter, <laughs> keeping it out in the hot sun all day long. And then um, I think we're going for the game of the week on the continent. And I think that's Barcelona versus Atletico Madrid at the Olympic Stadium. Um, I think, you know, good results for both teams midweek in the Champions League. Um, Atleti, I thought, irresistible at times against Feyenoord. Really were. Uh, Barcelona, and as we've discussed on this very podcast... Could be a season-defining moment for them. Um, I think there's a bit more pressure on Barcelona to get the win. I think, you know, at home, obviously their form in general is, it hasn't been particularly good. There's a lot of pressure on Xavi still, despite that midweek uh, win, I think. So there's pressure on them to win. They need to show that they can turn up in the big games and beat the informed teams. And Atleti have, uh, like I've said many times on the podcast this season, been really impressed. They've really impressed me. Is it a good time for Atleti to be facing Barcelona? I think so. I think even with that Barcelona result, that could be seen as a you know change in their season. You know, giving the confidence back and uh, putting the confidence back into the squad. I still think Atleti can go there and think right. We can put even more pressure on them. We can really um, you know get one over on them here and obviously get a bit of breathing room in the in the table as well. They're both level on thirty one points at the moment. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good time. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to On the Continent. Make sure that you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.